Welcome to another episode of 353rd, a bi-weekly podcast discussing the impact of the internet on business. This is episode number 50. Today is Monday, February 25th, 2013. I am Scott Barstow. And I am Anders Brownworth. Anders, it's a it's an historic day in the history of our podcast. That it is. Episode 50. You don't yes. get many of those. You really don't. It's been a long time coming. We've been at this for almost two years now. We have. That's amazing. We have. And there's been uh, some technological advances. There has. Let's, uh, I think, first and foremost, of course, is the fact that you are on a new microphone. I am finally on a new microphone. This is the Rode Podcaster, made in Australia, incidentally. Yeah, which I've, I've had one of these for, gosh, I don't know, probably close to a year now I've been using the Rode Podcaster and yeah. big fan. Yeah, it's a great mic. I, I had another mic that had a, uh, a little basically XLR to USB connector and it was, it was good, but the mic at the end of the day was not a great mic. This is mm -hmm. a great mic for what we're doing. It's yeah, really it's good. perfect for what we're doing. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we want to do today is when we first started this show, one of the uh, one of uh, the, probably the things that made it most entertaining, at least for us, was the fact that we would spend about half the show talking about technology, and then we would spend the second half of the show talking about a movie. Indeed. And we we explored all sorts of weird movies, anywhere from uh, the Bonhoeffer documentary to Gross Point Blank. That's right. And some Spike Lee thrown in, too. There was a Spike Lee joint. <laughs> there <in>. was. That's <laughs> but right. For our 50th show, first of all, we felt like we had to take it up a notch, as the saying goes. So we got new mics. We did get new mics. And <laughs> not only did we get new mics, but I'm standing up for the entire show. You're standing up. See, that's something I cannot replicate because this little mic stand I've got, it just won't. I can't stand. I can't yeah. do it. Yeah, so right. I'm standing up for the entire show because I feel like it's that important. I applaud your I applaud your devotion. This is fantastic. And the third thing we're doing is that we're talking about we're not going to spend one second of today's show on technology, although we already did, arguably. Indeed we did. Yeah. But not discussing news or any other things. We're going straight to a movie, and in this case we're actually discussing two movies and uh, the subject for today's show is The Godfather, parts one and two. That's right. This, this was, so of course in doing this, we had to go back and watch what turned out to be just a, a very, very, very long time commitment to uh, get ready for the show. Yeah, I'm not really sure when we made that decision. I don't think I realized that we were going to be settling in for six hours of movie watching. I think it's more than that. I think there were three and change each one. So I, I don't know the second one. I, I was watching the second one, and it felt like it went on forever. Not because it's not a good movie, but good gracious, it's yeah, long. Yeah, it is long. And it has an intermission, which I had forgotten. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so do you want to set the table for, uh, for our discussion today? I certainly I know you, do. You usually have some good stats about history of the movie and actors and all that sort of thing. I do. This is, uh, this is very easily Francis Ford Coppola's most famous film. Uh, he's part of the new Hollywood group, you know, Scorsese and, and, you know, really Woody Allen and Kaufman and Lucas and a bunch of guys. He's kind of new Hollywood, right? 
Uh, new as granted, this was made in what was it released in 1971 or 72? 72 and then 74 for the second part. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Francis is he's he he did this film and then he goes on to do a bunch of others. The Great Gatsby. He did Apocalypse Now. He was a co-writer on um, uh, Platoon, I believe. And then he did like you know Tucker. I don't know if you saw that in '88. Uh, which I thought was an interesting film, but wasn't you know wasn't great by any stretch. And then as close as he ever got, maybe would be Bram Stoker's Dracula in 1992. It just seems like he came onto the scene strong, and then hasn't kept knocking it out of the park. And yeah, I think if you compare him with uh, let's say Steven Spielberg, who yeah. was in the same era, yeah, and has just I mean Steven Spielberg had a movie this in last night's Academy Awards, Lincoln. Yeah. So. Yeah. He still continues to do excellent work, and Francis Ford Coppola seems to have, you know, he just never, it's, it doesn't seem like he ever really found this kind of movie again. Well, so I brought this up to a friend of mine a couple of nights ago, and he was saying that, you know, I think Coppola really is not, he, that's not, making movies is not his sole ambition in life. Like he's very much about his family and he's very much, you know, into wine and, you know, doing his things, not really ultimately wanting to be a director every moment of the day. And I think that's what separates him. He, he's, he's clearly made a, a easily top 10 film. Uh, some say, you know, a top two. Uh, sure. So you, you can easily, you can easily see that he belongs in, in the panoply here, but he just, he, he, you know, after 10, 20 years, I mean, you know, you, you really have to love it to still be doing it. At some point, you kind of, you know, you, you can do whatever you want. So at yeah. some point, you really... Anyway, so I, I just thought that was interesting, uh, you know, coming into it. So do you, let's, let's dive into um, The Godfather Part 1. Mm-hmm. This was... It was contentious, this film. It uh, was, he almost lost it a couple of times and he was, I think the third or fourth string director to be called. And he really only took it because he had uh, run over on another film and, and owed some money and needed, you know, needed the work. And he had a, uh, he had, I think two or three kids and another one on the way or. Is that right? Yeah. So he was against a, you know, between a rock and a hard place. And then of course, with the, pretty much overnights as they turned into a blockbuster this film even on on release so by the time he went to godfather part two um which incidentally part two he was kind of the guy they didn't the studio didn't want to call it godfather part two they wanted to say call it something else but he wanted to just call it part two and he started he he was adamant about this and he really kind of started that trend in Mm -hmm. in hollywood for that kind of thing it's interesting you don't really see too many you don't really see any part twos before this one. No, you know, certainly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, certainly sure. not of this caliber. That's um, interesting. So I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really realize that, but it's true. He really kind of set the bar there and you know how this is the other thing. Now I got to I got to ask you anytime you come out with a part two or a part anything, it's never as good as the original. That's really true. And that's the, that's the thing that I, I would say, uh, there are a few exceptions yeah. The first, uh, the first one being, I think Star Wars is in that category. I'd agree. Yeah, that's the yeah. second one, and even potentially the third are better than the first. If we're going back to the actual first, second, and third, not of course the the, late, chronal, the lame yeah. ones of late. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then the other one that I would put in that 
uh, in that category is, and it just went out of my head. Holy cow! Well, I, uh, for me, it's got to be Aliens, the second okay. Aliens film that is better than the first. I know that's heresy. I know everybody who who grew up with Alien, the first film, and loved it would, would basically bite my head off. But at the end of the day. You know, I, I really am entertained much more with Aliens, the second film. Mm. Uh, there's probably a bunch of others in this scenario, too. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I would Ra say, was course. equal, yeah. of course, if yeah. not better. Yeah. Uh, I think the third Raiders of the Lost Ark was also really, really good. And we, yeah. I think we talked about that we series did. early on in, our, yeah. in this whole journey. We just so you can go back and listen. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Skip like the first half hour of nonsense and get right yeah, to the good but stuff. But I think, I think, and I, I assume where you're headed with this question is, is the second one better than the first one? That's right. And yeah. for, for my money, The Godfather Part Two is about as good a theater as you're ever going to see. Interesting. Okay. There's, so so the, and the, yeah. there's so much nuance to that movie. And, I, and to be honest with you, I caught... I caught more of it this time. It's one of those movies, the more you watch it, the the more you catch. And because there's so much going on with the back and forth, and I don't want to jump ahead, but you know, the back and forth between Vito's days in Italy and mm -hmm. you know, all that sort of thing that I missed some of the nuance of what was going on. Um but anyway, let's go back to the first one. Yeah, so let's well, let's get some heresy in here. So <laughs> after the second you know, after my, I hadn't seen these movies in at least 15 years. It's been a while. So I go back and I watch them and I think I might like the first one better than the second. Really? I, I was not, we talked about this and, and you and I mutually, we agreed that the second one was better. We did. But I don't know, maybe I was drained by the time I got to the end of the second one. But, but in, in watching them again, in, in order, not chronological order, because of course, uh, Godfather Part Two is both a prequel and a sequel. Yes. Uh, so that's right. yeah, so it kind of bookends the the first film. Um, but the the first film to me, I, I enjoyed it a lot more. Maybe that's because I was expecting not to enjoy it as much as two. I don't know. Yeah, I, I will know. say. So what I will say in your defense, even though I believe that is heresy, I think the <laughs> I think what what really was and I had some of the same emotions I'm not going to lie about about the first one but the uh, Marlon Brando is so good yeah in the first one he is and, stellar he is and stellar. Uh, you know I think you miss I wish he had been obviously he dies in the first one but I think the if he had been in any way involved in the second one yeah uh, I think it probably changes your mind to me I think if I think about it from Okay, well, what makes it better or worse? It's got to be Marlon Brando because he's so good in he the is, first one. He's 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 shockingly good. As a matter of fact, he won that part because that part was uh, shopped around to a number of people who declined it. He won that part because he uh, you're just on his screen test. I don't know. He he like jammed little bits of cotton into the lower part of his mouth. To make the his face kind of look like that, you yeah, know, and yeah, have sure. that, and he would like stroke it a very strange way, and you know, it just gave you this bizarre. And he came out of left field for me because, like, I don't really appreciate acting. I got to tell you, you know, I watch the the Oscars or whatever, and I, you know, all right, so somebody can pretend to be somebody else, and that's I, it's they can do it well, 
but I don't really value that as a, as a really, you know, critical thing. I think it's kind of overvalued probably in society, but this guy, uh, he so totally changed Brando. So totally changed. Incidentally, uh, Lawrence Olivier was one of the guys that was up for that part. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That would not have been a good fit. <laughs> and he, he is, his agent denied it and said, no, you know, he's not going to do it. He's sick. He's not doing well. Uh, you know, he's about to die. And of course, he lives like 18 more years. <laughs> anyway, so I digress. Uh, so yeah, he just, he switched so much. Not only did he switch a lot, which I don't really value, but he turned into this really, really interesting character, which I do. And that, I think, is what just bowled me over on that. Yeah, I think the, and there's a couple other things I noticed about him. And in, in the first one is he's really big. He is. And yeah. and if you look at everybody else around him, you know, you've got James Conn, of course, who's Sonny. Uh-huh. And you've got uh, you know, you've got Al Pacino playing Michael, and they're all kind of these shorter, smaller guys. Yeah. And then you've got Marlon Brando, who's just this not only is he huge just as a personality, but he's physically big. Yeah. And which is, you know, in I don't think there's a lot of Italians probably that are that big. Yeah. But uh, I thought that helped as I was watching it this time. I was like, man, he's really a lot bigger than almost everybody else in the room, mm-hmm. which gives him not only the, it just gives him that extra air of dominance. It does. Yeah. And, and, you know, Al Pacino, I mean, he's tiny, but Al Pacino on this film was an unknown. A to- he had done like, you know, two short little unknown films at the time. Yeah, this was it for him. He this came was out it. Of, yeah. yeah. So he came so that he was the the director wanted somebody that was Italian because you know he wanted somebody that looked Italian and so they cast him as as uh Michael and and of course I would I would say you you got close to such a radical difference in the uh type of a character that he plays in the first film from almost a happy-go-lucky, you know, son of a rich guy to the guy that runs the crime family, um, be, you know, all on, all on Al Pacino. So you'd see that change happen, and that was really well done, I thought. Yeah, I thought so, too. And I've, I made, uh, I thought there were some really interesting points along the way where you can see, you know, at the beginning of the movie, he's this war hero, and he's right. dating, uh, you know, Diane Keaton, yep. and... You know, they're just this happy couple and he happens to be a member of the family and he just kind of says, look, this is who my family is. It's not who I am. Yeah. And he's selling that. And I think he believes that at that point in the movie, that really is who he is. He's taken himself off to war and he's returned back and he's kind of this war hero guy in the family. And then he sees, you know, as as his father gets into worse and worse shape and eventually you know he gets gunned down in the middle of the street and and all of that sort of thing i think michael realizes that neither none of the rest of the family you know sonny's this hot-headed idiot Mm -hmm. who just flies off the handle at any little thing and fredo is not the kind of guy that's going to be able to take over the family business and i think michael just has this realization that if it's going to happen it's going to be because if this is going to go on I'm going to have to be the guy to do it. So he makes that change, I thought, when he shows up at the hospital to visit his father and everybody has left 
obviously some kind of setup happening. Somebody's going to come and finish finish him off. Yep. He makes that change and he starts making, he starts like wheeling, wheels his dad into a different room. And, you know, he starts making the, the decisive moves right at that point because you don't really see it before then. That's right. And what's, what's interesting about it is that it's almost instinctive. You get the right. feeling that he's, and that's why he, he's the only guy that can take over. Yeah. Because he's the only one that just sort of gets how it has to work. And and can make those decisions without, uh, uh, you know, with it really without any bluster. No, with, no emotion, just yeah. here's how it's got to be. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm going to do it. And yeah. I think the, the, the turning point, obviously, is in the first one is when he actually goes to the restaurant and shoots Salazzo uh, oh, and the cop. So well done. Yeah, the yeah. cop McCluskey. Yes. Can I just say, like, the names in this film are fantastic. They are. Johnny Fantaine, you know, McCluskey, Luca Brasi. All these names are like, are just, they are, they're iconic. They just turn into iconic. There was another film we were talking about, uh, one of our shows a long time ago, where, where the names just, you know, made it. And I, the names make this movie for me. I, Absolutely. Just, I loved this. I loved Salazzo's name. It's a guy <laughs> yeah. that you, know, you just feel, okay, well, this guy's a slimy. This guy's scumbag. dirty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, um, with Johnny Fontaine and, uh, Jack Waltz, the, the, the studio head. Yes. Ends up with the horse and the horse head. In his bed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, you could basically, oh, yeah, you know, crime, drama, whatever, you know, crime family. It's kind of always like, you know, disconnected until you see that horse head show up in the bed and you realize how cold and how present these guys are. That's right. That's such a, such a, and then you notice how like it was put in almost, almost like you could admit it in the very beginning. Here's my steed. I, you know, I paid all this money for him. I'm going to send him out to, you know, to stud and, you know, whatever. I'm not going to race him. And, and, you know, it's almost like an offhanded side comment. Yep. And clearly the guy's most valuable possession outside of the studio. For sure. So it's his prized possession. And he doesn't want to, you know, they don't want to put Johnny Fontaine in the film or this, you know, Waltz doesn't want to put Fontaine in the film. Yeah. And so it's funny to, uh, when Tom, the consigliere leaves, it's a funny line and I hadn't noticed it the first time I watched it, but he says, Mr. Corleone likes to have bad news delivered as soon as possible or something like that. I don't remember (laughs) the line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, I'm leaving. I'm flying home tonight. Mr. Mr. Corleone likes his news, his bad news. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as possible. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and so you just get this ominous feeling like, oh my yeah, gosh, what's going to happen? And, but going never down. in a million years do you think, obviously, if Not you know that scene's coming, but yeah. it's like, okay, they're yeah. going to put a horse's head in the bed. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty cold. That's pretty cold. <laughs> anyway, um, so, so thinking, and actually, let me say one thing about that. The horse's head, there were, there were animal rights groups that got upset about that. The horse's head came from a pet food supply company and they they asked him you know hey do you have a dead horse and and sure enough they did or they found one or whatever it was and and they got the thing shipped and that's that's how they actually it was a real horse's head it was a real horse head then yeah Yeah. that's fascinating yeah fake blood but real horse's head yeah that's awesome (laughs) anyway so 
So Michael goes off to, so everything, you know, there's basically open warfare amongst the families, and Michael gets sent off to Sicily. That's right. Right? So he meets yep. this girl. Yeah, Apollonia. Apollonia. Vitelli, I think. And she, I don't know, looked to me like she was 16 years old. Oh my gosh, yes. It was, and you know what? So I, I looked it up. So Apollina Vitelli was 18 when the movie released. And they shot the movie a year before, so she was seventeen. Mm. <laughs> in that, in that, so sequence. she really she looked she her age then. Looked, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it because I'm watching this. I'm like, golly, she's like sixteen. She's getting married, you know. And and sure enough, the actress was like seventeen at the time. It was amazing. I think I think for me, when he goes to Italy, or when he goes to Sicily, rather. Okay, when when Michael goes to Sicily. Yeah, when Michael goes to Sicily. Yeah. And the you know, it's kind of like they keep him out of the way and he's living this other life and you get the feeling he's just yeah. kind of over there living the, you know, la vita bella and living the good <laughs> life. And you know, you almost get the sense that he's kind of forgotten about what's going on back in New York. Yeah, true. And he's just, yeah. you know, he's having this great life. He's met this sweet girl. They're getting married. He convinces the dad to... That was done well. It was. Like, that was smart. Yeah. And so he goes through all this stuff, and they're just kind of going along. And he goes to see, you know, Tucci. Yeah. Who, of course, tries to have him killed. Yeah. And then blows up the car yeah. with Apollonia in it. Yeah. And then you, then you just get the sense that, okay, that's the trigger. That's the switch. And it's uh -huh. all, you've got yeah, these yeah, events sure. of – there's two events, I think, that are key in Michael's life. One is – the first one is obviously is him deciding to shoot Salazzo and the cop. Yeah. That's the first one. Yeah. But you think, okay, well, that's just – he's just getting revenge for his dad. Uh-huh. You know, this guy tried to have his dad killed. Yep. And so he's getting revenge for that. And then the second key moment, I think, is his wife being executed in Italy – and it's like the switch just is uh, he becomes a completely different person. He's impersonal. Every decision is business. It's cold. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he marries, you know, he comes back and eventually marries Kay. And, but you just get the sense that that was the girl that he loved, that he truly loved. Yeah. And the, you know, the business he was in had taken her. And so the rest of his life is just a bitter uh, march. Is the is the feeling I got? Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, you know, clearly, and and we stray into the second film with this, but his his comments about, uh, you know, you said in five years the Corleone family would be completely yep. legitimate. That was seven years ago. That that was in the second film. That's right. Um, so she was. It was always aligned to her. Always. It was he. She she either willingly just believed that he didn't you know that that he what he was saying was the way it was but you kind of i mean she knew at some point that you know this guy's never going to change it's always going to be like this i mean you're at the top of a f crime family what do you what do you think you know i yeah. don't know and um yeah and then they're 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 kind of confronted with the drug trade uh early on it's very interesting uh because that was the uh, the, the question back in the day, like, are you going to, I mean, you kind of have to get into drugs if you're, if you're in this line of work. 
Right. And you almost can't because you're going to be you're going to be shoehorned out if you don't. Yeah, and Vito Corleone, of course, and Salazzo is the guy that comes to him and tries to get him into that business. You know, they have the big meeting, and Salazzo's making his case. Yeah. And Vito says, no, I'm not going to be, you know, I'll do all this other stuff, but I won't be in that line of work. Yeah. And, yeah. of course, then they try to have him killed, and, mm-hmm. you know, that it all just sort it of all snowballs. It goes from down. Him. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and then, you know, Sonny ends yeah. up being killed in that really famous scene on the causeway. Uh-huh. Um, and it just seems like the whole thing... Uh, just gets out, out of control. Yeah. And I think the other thing that there's a couple of other points in the first one I thought that were really interesting. One is uh, when Vito's in the hospital and he finds out that Michael is the guy that shot Salazzo and the cop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you, all the, all up, until this, up until this point, he's been trying to keep Michael out of the family, yeah. out of the family business. He wants him to be legitimate. You can tell it's you know, once Michael went off to war and was and and escaped the, mm-hmm. you know, escaped the atmosphere of the family business, you could sense that Vito did not want him back. Yeah, and wanted and it, him to be legit, and then all of yeah. a sudden he make he puts the hit on Salazzo, does it himself, has to go to Sicily, and Vito just kind of when he finds out, he waves everybody out of his room. Yeah, that's and right. It, it's yeah. just complete disappointment. Yeah. you can tell, yeah. and just crushed. I thought the other thing was that. Another point with with Vito is when Sonny is killed and he finds out, you sort of get this sense that Vito realizes what the the path that he's chosen, the you know what it's what the result that it's brought upon his family. Right. Yeah. What the ultimate price of this actually yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've got Michael who's mm-hmm. stuck over in Italy, and then you've got his other son who gets you know just executed at a toll booth. Yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah, yep. on when he's going to try to try to rescue, you know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Complete setup. Totally. And they, you know, they finally figure out later how that how that all happened, and it was uh, Carlo, his brother-in-law, who sets him up, and all this other just yeah. horrible stuff. And then, so I thought those were two in terms of Vito's life. You, you know, up until this time, you think he's just this big, powerful guy who you know makes decisions without emotion and. Does what mm, needs yeah. to be done, and then you start to see the chinks in his armor. I think in those two moments where he's he has a sense that uh, it's cost him in very real ways that I don't think he was expecting. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So uh, scenes that popped out for me, we kind of touched on the uh, the McCluskey dirty cop, you know, murder scene, uh, but there's so so that one. That's the one that. Uh, I mean, obviously the horse head, right? And then that one, we're kind of sticking out in my mind. The other one that just stuck in my mind and I was, you know, almost, you know, worried to watch is when Vito dies, when he collapses in the garden yes. in front of Anthony, his, his uh, grandson, who mm-hmm. doesn't know what's going on and still kind of walking around when his grandfather like stops moving. He just kind of walks away. Yeah. <laughs> he like, just runs inside. Oh, it's so cold, man. That's, Yeah. Yeah, so that that scene there, I was like, "Wow!" And then that's you know that's well done. Yeah. I don't know how they got the kid to do that. I don't either. But maybe uh, they just said you're playing here, and then they didn't tell him, and then he just falls over and stops playing, so the kid walks away. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It just Golly, it seemed, it well he done. didn't even run over to him. He just nope. kind of goes on like, "Oh, granddad, yep. you know, my grandfather's fallen over. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go inside and get a drink." Right, is almost what it feels like. <laughs> right. 
and you know i'm thirsty so well done god because yeah. because you know if that were done you know in, in like a, in a movie today the guy would fall over and then the kid would like start crying or yes like, there'd be wailing it was and so way overdone right overdone and this was so like i would love to know how they did that i'm yeah. sure they just threw him in there and just you know how to but because if you look at the way it was shot it's all shot from relatively distant mm-hmm. there, there are cameras that that move but they're all telephoto or something, all they're all distant, so whatever happens, happened. And I, I think that may be how they did it. I don't know. Um, yeah, it could be because it's you and I could totally see a kid that age just being, oh well. Yeah. I don't know what's going on here. Right. You know, yeah. I'm gonna go and see my yeah, mom. Well, grandpa stopped playing with me. He's yeah. sleeping now. Yeah, he know? would have no he would have <laughs> no cold. sense of what the really fact happened. that his yeah. grandfather's dead. Yeah. The other the other scene before we move on to two that I think yeah. is of course legendary is the baptism scene yeah. at the end of the movie when yeah. Michael's having everybody killed. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's just epic. Yep. You've got the priest, you know, giving the blessing. Yeah. You've got Michael saying, yeah. you know, you know, I'm I'm not a sinner and you've got all this just this going great down. theater. Yeah. And you know, just the you've got the scene in the church with the priest, you know, and then they cut to some guy getting killed. And then they cut back yeah. to Michael, yeah, you know, confessing Good. and taking <laughs> exactly. communion. Yeah, taking and then communion. they cut to another guy getting yeah. killed. Oh, yeah, it's it brilliant. Just fantastic. And they're calling him at that point the Godfather. Because that's, that's right. what that's that's it. That's what they're doing. Like he's turning into a godfather there. That's uh, right. It just means two different things at the same time, which is why I think this film is just done so well. Um, yeah. yeah, that, that absolutely whole, legendary. Scene. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So Brando won a, an Academy award for his portrayal, but he, uh, you refused to accept it to call attention to harmful Hollywood stereotypes of native Americans. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He, wow. and I think Pacino in the second film, didn't accept. I, I'm I'm unclear on that. I, I I forget. But there's something something about him also chiming in on the second film. Anyway, so let's talk about the second film. So that your your favorite of the two, which was my favorite of the two until very recently. Yeah. So I, the thing I like about the second one is the introduction of Robert De Niro, mm-hmm. who's just really good as a young Vito Corleone. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> you have this. Uh, it's kind of you know he he comes over here he comes to the U.S. on the boat as a very young you know as a young boy hmm. and he's over here and he's living this life of poverty he finds this girl you know they get married but they have no money he's trying to find his way in what I believe is Little Italy in New York yeah mm-hmm. and uh, and then all of a sudden you know he he finds out who this guy Fanucci is Don Fanucci Don Fanucci yeah. who runs Little Italy at the yeah. time yeah yep and he just starts to pay attention to what he's doing mm-hmm. and watching and you know and he doesn't like the 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 abuse that he heaps on people just like him mm-hmm. and you can just kind of see his, the righteous anger if you will building over time as they show these scenes where Fanucci's a abusing everybody in the community. I think it's really interesting. He has this moment where, uh, you know, these, it's like he's paying attention to me. Ah, so this is the guy that's got to go. Yeah. If we're going to, you know, if this neighborhood is going to be any decent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and one thing, uh, just before that point is, so, so he was, 
you know, he witnesses his family's murder, essentially, and he's whisked out of the town, you know, smuggled on a donkey or in a basket on a donkey, yes. ships to New yes. York, right? He arrives yep. in New York, which is amazing, amazingly done. You know that, you know, it ha- like that is part of the Italian-American experience, showing up at Ellis Island, having the statue there. Like, you know that that is like... Uh, like you see everybody just gaping. When, oh, I know. I come. love that yeah, scene where so everybody's well on the boat looking, looking off that one side of the boat at the yep. Statue of Liberty. Just fantastic. That's a fantastic scene. Yeah, for sure. I would have thought they would have changed his name to Corleone for safety reasons, but it seems like it was random. Yeah, it was just the town he was from. Yeah, the, the guy was. shows up and else. So, what's your last name? And he says, or he said, what's your name, Vito? And and Delini or whatever his name yeah. is, and then uh, and then he says, "Where are you from?" And then he says, "Corleone." So now he's Vito Corleone. That's right. Like, is that the way it went down? I mean, really? I would have thought <laughs> probably they, is probably is, but I would have thought he would have changed the name for for security reasons, but apparently not. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so Don Fanucci. There's another name. There's another name. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant. great name. Great name. It's fantastic. I love the I love the scene where he's. Watching Fanucci, you know, running across the rooftops. Oh yeah, and watching Fanucci down in the street. Yep, stalking him. And he has this moment, you know. So he and his buddy—I forget his buddy's um, name—but he and his buddy are stealing stuff out of houses. Yeah, the the rug. Yeah, and (laughs) Fanucci, you know, is riding in the car with with Vito, and he says, "You know, just give me a little taste, and I'll leave you alone." Wet my beak. Yeah, wet my beak. Yeah, great line. Yeah, and yeah. He said, you know, so just give me my cut and I'll leave you alone. And what I love is that I wish I could remember his buddy's name, but his buddy's terrified, right? Yeah. He's like, yeah. well, we got to pay him. We got to yeah. pay him. Yeah. And Vito <laughs> says, leave it to me. And it's like, okay, then, well, how, then, did, but how then, does but, he make the jump from being the guy, you know, one of the guys, one of everybody in Little Italy who's terrified to just, no, I'm going to be that guy that's, i'm not gonna be this guy i'm gonna be that guy yeah for sure that's the thing and, and also just, just right on that point he he he's, his friend says well, what do you how what are you gonna do and he's he says i'm gonna make him an offer he don't refuse that's right which i thought was brilliant instead of saying make him an offer he can't refuse make him an offer he don't refuse and then refine that later in the film yeah that was brilliant yeah <laughs> i mean it's and incredible I, yeah, and I, it's like he ha, you have to have he has to have this moment, and this is his moment where it's kind of like Michael's moment in the first movie when he kills the cop. Yeah, this is Vito's moment of ascension. Yes, uh huh. It is. Yeah, this is the time when he takes over when yeah. he becomes the guy. Yeah, he becomes and the guy for the, everybody goes to for fairness. That's right, because he's taking care of the guy that's abused everybody in the neighborhood. That's right. And so now, you know, later you've got these people that come to him and ask him, you know, to you've got the landlord who's abusing, you know, the who kicks the old lady out of the house. Yeah, right. And, you know, yep. she comes to see Vito Corleone and he goes to, you know, he calls the landlord in. And what's a what's great in that scene is, you know, the landlord's leaving. He's kind of like, ah, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. And the and Vito's right hand man says, why don't you ask around? Yes, about right. who Vito is, <laughs> and then you know, five <laughs> minutes later, he comes back in and he's like, "Oh, you know, I'll let her stay for free." Yeah, I'll, exactly. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll knock five dollars a month off. No. Ten dollars. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was 
I mean, it's certainly a show of force. It 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 didn't show that he was jamming it down the throats because he was he was offering to offset the uh, increase in rent for the right. lady. And and when he doesn't take it, he he you know he he's in the doghouse. But so uh, this film is uh, it, it keeps cutting from the in basically 1901 and on like the early years of Vito to the the present situation if you will with michael and the and what's going on out in nevada and all this kind of thing and it's it's cut i mean you you could argue slightly confusingly matter of fact the studio had them go back and re-edit uh a lot of that to make it you know to to allow the cuts to happen and allow things to to sink in a bit better before they switched back to modern times or back to you know yesteryear and Interestingly, they ran out of time uh, in that edit before they had to actually release the film. So the last few cuts are kind of relatively abrupt compared to the other ones. That's interesting because of that. that's really true. Because the in early on, there's big chunks in both locations. Yeah, right, exactly. And then the end, it gets a bit janky. It just goes back and forth a lot faster near the end. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I wonder how much more that. But I think that was a good move. That was a good steady because in this film. Uh, the director uh, Coppola could pretty much do whatever he wanted because it was such, the previous film was such a success. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have near the, nearly the amount of constraints on him, but they did press this. And I think that was good because I do remember myself getting ever so slightly confused because, you know, I wait, which time are we in for a second here? You know, is this the father or the son? You know, yeah. just for a second. Yeah. There's um, a, there's a, there's a few scenes in this one that I think are really poignant. The first one that I made note of where I thought was really good and really well done was when uh, Michael is leaving to go see Hyman Roth. Mm. And he's sitting at his son's – he's sitting in his son's bedroom. Not long – if you remember, he's, he's just been shot at, right? His bedroom windows have been shot out. Right. You know, they yeah, had yeah. the hit on him. Uh-huh. And he's trying to figure out who it was and all this other stuff. And he's got to go see Hyman Roth. And he goes and sits with his son on his uh, at the side of his bed and kind of strokes his hair and just says, you know, look, everything's going to be okay. Um, I've got to leave for a while, but you're going to be okay. Yeah. And you can tell he's got this emotion. It's the first time you see uh, some conflict, I think. The same conflict, I would argue, that Vito had. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And so he's got this really deep love for his son and probably doesn't want his son to be a part of the life he is. Because by now, you, he's, uh, Michael is really dark yeah. and really j- you know, jaded. You can just get a sense that uh, if he could, he'd probably get out. But he's in so deep and he's so powerful and yeah. there's really nothing else he can do. But you've got this. He's got to go see, you know, Hyman Roth, who's a really interesting character, mm-hmm. and he's just sitting at the side of his bed and stroking his son's hair. And I thought it was a really, really neat scene. Yeah, that's very interesting. That's a that's a good pickup. Um, comparing, you know, his change there and his is or you know, the change from ultimate callousness to to maybe there's something there to the same in the first film with his dad. Yeah, that's a good point. So uh, so moving on to Cuba. Um, what did you think? I had forgotten that really, that, that really Cuba factored so prominently in the second film. I mean, I kind of knew, yeah, they were somewhere else, but Cuba 
And yeah. it was being presented, and I'm sure at the time, you know, it was being presented as like, you know, the up and coming jewel of the the Caribbean or whatever. That's right. And I think it probably was. It probably was. You're right. Yeah. And then and so you've got the, you know, he shows up in Cuba and you've got the the rebels and then the government. And he's, you know, there's the scene in the when he's just getting there where he's riding in the cab or yeah. the car. And they they come upon this protest, and one of the one of the rebels jumps into the car with the with the guy with the military guy from Cuba and pulls the pin on a grenade and blows them both up. Yep. And yep. Michael has this moment like, wow, this is this place is not very stable. Yeah, this and, place is not what it seems. Right, and so that you know, five minutes later, he's or ten minutes later in the movie, he's talking to Hyman Roth, and and he replays that moment, and. Yeah. And, you know, you can tell Michael's thinking, okay, you've got people here that are willing to die to change the country. And Hyman Roth is thinking, is saying, no, the government's got it under control. And he doesn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and he, so he leaves, you know, he doesn't, he hasn't brought the money with him and he, he stalls about bringing the two million bucks yep. for Hyman Roth. And you can, you can, that's the moment I think where he says, nope, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a part of things here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's uh, that's it, very well done. I mean, you know, the incidentally that the Cuba scenes were shot in the Dominican Republic because um, uh, someone at the studio thought that the DR was really going to become a a big film location. They were trying to promote it as a hmm. film location. I didn't know it was shot in Cuba. Um, I sorry in Dominican. Uh, and but but looking back, uh, you know, makes total sense because like they have all the cars, they have all the old kind of fifties looking buildings and, and all of the infrastructure. I mean, that's what they have. It's all kind of the same down there. It hasn't really, you know, moved all that, all that much since back in the day. Um, mm. And I, I gather that's the way Cuba largely looks today. I bet, I bet you're right. And I will find out in our lifetime. I hope what yeah, it's like I, down there. Yeah. I would love to go. I yeah. would love to go in a hard other, I've seen it. Yeah. But I have another been. scene that I thought was really good and really well done. So the at the beginning of the movie you've got you know, they're out in Lake Tahoe and you've got the senator from Nevada. In Nevada, yeah. Who's there and you know, Michael makes his his threats and the senator basically just flips him the bird <laughs> yeah. and walks out of the room, you know, and insulting him and calling him all sorts of Italian derogatory Italian names on the way out. Yeah. And then later in the movie, they, of course, frame the senator with a prostitute yeah. who ends up dying. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they murdered. And then, you know, he wakes up out of this drug-induced stupor to a dead prostitute. And, of course, Tom is sitting there, you know, shows up on the scene, <laughs> says, you know, Senator, we'll make sure this goes away. And so, you know, from that moment, the senator's he's life. He's in his pocket. It, yeah, he's got him in his pocket. Yep, yep. Yeah, that was well done. That was well done. Interestingly, so he's the senator from Nevada. And of course, all the gaming is in Nevada. And Lake Tahoe is cut in half between uh, California and Nevada. Mm -hmm. But the sequences that were filmed were filmed on an estate that's on the California side, looking mm -hmm. toward the Nevada side when you look over the, uh, the water. Apparently, you can still go there and see the, the... It's a private estate, but you can still go there and see it. It still looks like that, apparently. Um, the, uh, yeah, and the other big thing, of course, that happens in Cuba is that Michael figures out that Fredo was a part of the hit. Yeah, 
Yeah. And because Fredo lets it slip about, yeah. the, you know, because they, the, the Fredo Johnny, get introduced to Johnny O. Johnny Ola, yeah. Yeah. And, and Fredo acts like he doesn't know him. And then later in the club, he's talking about how he and Johnny O do this and he and Johnny O do that. Yeah. And Michael's standing five feet behind him and is just crushed yeah. because at that point he knows yeah. that his own brother yeah. was a part of the was a part of the plot. Right. Was may not have been aware of exactly the extent, but we, but obviously it was just, you know, exactly the extent of how how this would be used. Mm-hmm. But it, it was obviously a, a vote of non-confidence for sure. And so he disowns him. I mean, he disowns Fredo, basically. Yep. And says, not, but he instructs uh, Al Neary, nothing's to happen to him while my mother is still alive. That's right. And, and interestingly, after the mother dies, in fact, at the funeral, he essentially embraces him. Yep. And he, it's and like, he, okay, well, he's gonna, he's, there, are they really going to make peace? But then right. he gives that knowing look as he's uh, as he's talking to Fredo. He gives that look yeah. to uh, to what's the, you know the henchman. I forget his name. Um, and so you say, okay, well he's he's making peace publicly, but yeah. Yeah. it's not going to last. It's not Fredo, gonna, yeah, Fredo's yeah. days are numbered. Yeah, and they were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, he gets it in the back of the head out he, on the lake. He does at Lake Tahoe. Now that's interesting because the kid was supposed to be in the boat. Mm-hmm. And then the kid is called away. I guess that was part of the plan, huh? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure Michael had him called out of the boat. Yeah, yeah. Because Michael's watching. Be you know, Michael's watching from the from the boathouse window. Yeah. As the guy, you know, trolls out on the lake, and and I'm sure Fredo knew that was it as well. That is so creepy because, yeah, that's right. I mean that that scene is played off very much like the the scene in the other film with christening and uh or there was a scene in the beginning of this film with christening i mean it's it's you know it's this detachment but everything is all kind of going down and it's another round of cleaning of yep. house cleaning that goes down and and you know there he is like i don't know contemplating life or something i mean like yeah i don't enjoying know I mean, the outdoors watching, it's hard to say he's got his he's watching his brother you get know, be shot executed. in the back of the head are you kidding me yeah. yeah, yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> well, so a bunch of the uh, the uh, uh, you know known gangsters at the time this film or the first film came out were uh, you know were were pretty much said some things about how they were stunned about how uh, Vito uh, reacted and Michael reacted and how they carried themselves and all of this kind of thing and we're saying like. Yeah, that's like really accurate. <laughs> huh. There's all these interesting. Uh, if you look on the Wikipedia page uh, on uh, the Godfather part, the first one, uh, there's a couple of quotes from some, uh, you know, uh, gangsters at the time that that essentially, I guess, released statements about how accurate the film actually was and how it nudged them toward being more serious about, you know, not using, uh, not using bad language and cleaning themselves up and kind of trying to stay above it a little bit and all this, yeah, which is, which is creepy. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, totally creepy. You should go look it up when you get some, when you get a chance. It's, it's fun reading. It's like, you know, two or three sentences about it. And then there's some, uh, some links you can go off and, and, and check out. Um, so interesting stuff. So you really, uh, you really, are still on board with this, uh, the second one, as the film you love most? 
I think so. I yeah. liked I liked the you know, I liked the back and forth. I'll tell you, there were parts that got old. I felt like the Hyman Ross stuff got a little uh-huh. tired. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I thought uh, Michael's, I thought Al Pacino was so good. Yeah. Yeah, well, he was so good in both of these, but he's much more prominent in he's the second prom- one. He's more prominent, right. And yeah. he's, he's just, his acting is so good, just the his facial expressions and his reactions to things. And it's just an amazing performance. Yeah. And... And I just, it's one of the greatest. And I got, I got more of it this time. I think I'm probably with you. I probably watched this for the, and it was really for the first time, probably 15 years ago. Right. I remember I was, a, it was a rainy Saturday and they just, some TV station I had strung all three of them together. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. And I sat and watched back to back to back. Oh, it's, that's, that is impressive. That is and an impressive It feat. was nine hours of TV or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. But I, I caught much more of the subtlety this time, and I just felt like, in yeah. terms of performance, uh-huh. I felt like the second one was he was so good in it, and I, I wish Marlon Brando had been in the second one. Yeah, that's I'm the with only you thing I feel like it was missing. But you know, obviously he couldn't be. But I think the I guess they could have had him in it if they had chosen to bring Vito up closer to current day. Right. That's yeah. That's where I'm thinking. If they had uh, some other thing to work on in the the 40s or 50s or you right. know you know where they could get a little closer yeah yeah they could have made him you know older than robert de niro could have played could have right. made it a young a younger Vito than what's in the first movie but right yeah it's you know i right because it's only like four years you know well two years later right yeah it was only two years later as i remember so yeah, yeah. and maybe you know marlon brando i think is notoriously difficult and so he probably wouldn't have done it anyway but yeah, uh, but yeah, I just thought I thought Al Pacino was so good. Did he win an Oscar for? Uh, for I the, think so. Um, I think so. I would have to check. Yeah, we should know that stuff. We should but. know that stuff. This is horrible. But uh, I got to say, though, one other thing. Uh, so two things. One about the uh, the reason I think the second film is so good, and that is the uh, the the context switching that happens. Uh, so you get that parallelization between the two stories. I think that really, really helps it. And that that's really hard to pull off. It is hard to pull off when, you know, keeping it not confusing, keeping people with you. That's tough. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is with the first film and this is, this is where it was, I mean, everything else aside, this, this gives the other film an edge as well. Phil, if you, if you like, let's just talk about, for example, Star Wars, right? Well, Star Wars is out of left field, man. Some space journey about this guy and there's robots and what? I mean, this mm-hmm. should have, like, it, it was just typical 70s wackiness, but it worked. And, uh, you know, it, it, there were some technical things that were sort of cutting edge and all, but it, it stood out and worked because of what was around it. Now, if you look at The Godfather, the way spaghetti you know gangster films were shot was not at all to the level of this this was so out of left field just like star wars is out of left field this was so out of left field for the uh for the genre and it basically everything since pays homage back to things that they did in the godfather and there was no film like that before this film yeah i think what makes it really good there are a couple of things along those lines that make this just epic. The first is that the level of violence is very low. Right. 
Agreed. It's, it's, uh, you have these moments where somebody gets, you know, shot in the head or whatever, but even those, I guess it would be, you know, things weren't as graphic back then anyways. No, but, but the studio was asking for more violence in this yeah, film. There was very little violence. It's almost all about story. Yeah. And the story is so good. And I think the second thing is that there's, they don't, it's not just this, uh, you know, a bunch, they don't make the, you know, Italians just look like a bunch of idiots running around carrying machine guns. Sure. Which is what, yeah, with the which is what most of them yeah. do. And right. this one was just, you know, look, these people, it's a family. It's, you know, these are just regular people who are le- who are leading a really different life. Yeah. And, you know, they're people that, uh, that get up in the morning and eat breakfast and they just showed them as regular people mm-hmm. who have chosen just a, horrific way of life but mm-hmm. but they're just they have the same problems they have the same concerns mm-hmm. um you know they think about their kids the same way and i thought it was just really well done the only part that i wish they hadn't i wish they had found a better i thought diane keaton wasn't particularly good and yeah. she got on my nerves a lot <laughs> really yeah, I just I didn't find her believable. Right, that's my problem. It's believable. I don't I don't know if she was good or not. It was it was, the problem was she seemed to totally buy and believe the lines, and then later on, you know, was surprised that you know Michael wasn't really going to legitimize the family. Right, and that it was like, well, you can't do that. She she now she just looks stupid. Yeah. And, and and she's she's not made out to be any sort of stupid person, right? She's no. a teacher or whatever she right. is. She's obviously intelligent, and yeah. you get the sense she she's not naive. She you know Michael has told her what the family business is, and but yet she is naive because she believes it at the beginning, and then has this righteous indignation when things don't turn out the way that she you know that he talked about, right? And it, I don't know. I just. There were times when I just wish she would go away. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like her. I mean, you know, I'm much more of a uh, Woody Allen fan. So she, you know, she rates pretty high on my, uh, my meter from, from Woody Allen, you know, lore. But uh, I don't, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah anyway, she, just a fantastic film. Yeah, Both these films, films are yeah, so good. For sure. So, so good. Yeah. Uh, so next week we will, or the next show, we'll be back on topic, uh, talking about things uh, much more current day. But we had to do this as a as a throwback to as our, an homage, as an homage to our initial set of shows, which we had a blast doing. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully, you guys have gotten a kick. You uh, out there in listener land have gotten a kick out of uh, this show. And if you enjoy this one, go back and listen to some of the early ones if you miss them. Uh, we really talked about some great films. I'm not saying we did a great job of it, but we talked about some great films. It was, it was fun to talk about stuff that you love, and that, that's really what it is. Really take a look at the first 10 episodes, I think. Yep, yep. So thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with, uh, with another show, and that's it. See ya. Uh,